Hello and welcome along to this edition of On The Whistle. I'm your host, Zane Nabi. Boy, oh boy, do we have a special show today. We are in the presence of greatness. Today, we will be discussing, we will be celebrating Africa's greatest tens. The players on the field who were the creators, the magicians, who, as you, the fan, paying hard and cash, would pay to go and watch. These guys are the guys who light up a pitch. Given free reign to move in today, we will be celebrating 10 of Africa's greatest tens. And who better to join us to discuss this subject than a man who was nominated for World Player of the Year back in 1996. He had a storied career to borrow an Americanism as he played, coached, and was the president of his football federation. And he announced himself on the world stage at the 1988 Olympics, so famously when he scored a hat-trick against Italy. It's the one and only great Kalu, Kalusha Bualia. Kalusha, golden boot winner of AFCON 1996. Thank the stars, South Africa didn't play you in the final. Otherwise, we might have had different winners. Thank you for joining us on the On The Whistle podcast today. How are you doing? Thank you so much, uh, Zane. Thank you so much to, to the panel. Thank you for the wonderful uh, introduction. This has uh, been a long road, like you say, but, um, uh, you know, Africa has uh, produced some of the best players in the world. And, and I think without us, uh, you know, football would not be as rich as it is. Uh, in a way, so I'm really happy, you know, today to to hear what the guys have to say, and also to contribute uh, to to this, um, to this fantastic topic. Honestly, and uh, it is an honor, it is a privilege, and when we got you, the panel was so excited. A man who shone on the continent, a man who shone in Europe, playing in Belgium and in Holland, winning titles. So it's a privilege for us to have you here. If you were to pick one highlight in that career, what would it be? Um, no, I think that you have answered the, that question for me uh, already in your introduction. Uh, I think that when um, uh, born in Africa and, and um, you know, the doors were not that open uh, in, in those days, uh, we have seen fantastic players. When you think about Zambia, uh, as a ball boy myself, as my father was in Benjamin Walia was in, in football and he was an administrator and I used to go and watch football every, almost every week with my older brother. Uh, so it was, it was something that was spectacular, you know, and you had to be on good behavior, by the way, during the week, because my dad would use it against you at the weekend to say, they only needed, didn't need to hit you with any stick on something, but say, if you don't behave this way, if you don't behave, you miss, you won't go to the football match at the weekend. So I, it was something, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it put us in the straight and narrow. And uh, I have seen the, the best players in, in Zambia, so a lot of, uh, also international games in, in the beginning uh, of uh, when I was very young, um, in the 70s, for example, I saw a lot of good games, which I can, you know, which can, we can have another program and I can be able to talk about. And so when, once you start, you know, once you start from Mufrila as, as a schoolboy, and Blackpool, Mufrila Andres as a schoolboy, you don't know where you're going to, to end. And then you get a chance to go to the national team, 
and then you play against the big teams, you know, you just play against Tunisia, you play against Morocco, you play against Cameroon. Then suddenly you find that the other teams, you know, they have the international players. So you start to think that maybe I also want to be a professional soccer player. And, and without no history, you know, because some of our players, I think, who went to, uh, to the Americas was in mm-hmm. the 60s. So um, definitely it would be difficult for me to say, for me, my highlight has been to come from Wales and then play football in, in my town, uh, represent my country, uh, go abroad as a football player, if you talk about football players, and, and, and go to Belgium, and, and, and then you are playing in uh, Seco Bruges, you get this opportunity, and then you look at the league, the 18 teams in, in, uh, in the league, in 1985-86, uh, there is probably from the 18 teams in the Belgium league, there is maybe seven, eight, play- eight black players or African players, and and think I think that is for me, you know, the highlight. You know, when you think that when when we started, there was uh, you had to do it. It's a it's a it's a path that you had to make for yourself. You know, nobody had been there before, so you were like. Okay, uh, here, where do I turn? Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Do I go straight? So, and, and so you paved your career, you know, and Europe was not um, as it is today. And so I think for me, that was been the highlight. Something I've asked many players about what was the first thing that struck them? I remember with Benny McCarthy, I remember with Mido, um, and they were both particularly the weather was a complete culture shock for them. When you came to Europe, what was it for you? It was the weather. I, and I, um, I went to Seco Broods in 1985 in around October. Uh, and so if you know Africa, Zambia, it's the hottest month. And then I go to Europe and it's muddy, it's, it's raining. I don't know what happened, but <laughs> the weather was cruel, you know, <laughs> that time. <laughs> So I go for trials and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Zane, the, the first match, they say, okay, we have to see you in a, in a, after about training for three, four days. We say we're going to play a friendly match. We played and from Bruges. We go to, to Liège, uh, which is like uh, two hours by, by bus. And then when we reach there, we play uh, at around three or three o'clock um, or is it four o'clock? It was just a practice match. And the pitch was muddy, and it, you know it had rained, and the pitch was muddy, and it, you know, and you know in Africa we play all the time with plastic. I don't know what name you you want to use it, the multi stars mm-hmm. that we play with. So so I was wearing my my multi studded boot, and and then I was falling all over the place. I was falling. <laughs> I think, I think in the first half, I touched the ball maybe maybe once in 45 minutes. I touched the ball maybe once. And then the guy said, look, why don't you change your, your shoes? So they gave me, you can imagine, it's like you're wearing high shoes. You're running, you can't even run properly. And so after the game, I said to, my, to myself, hey, maybe this is not for me. I mean, maybe I'm not supposed to be a professional football player. Maybe it's better to, to go home. Uh, really, and uh, the people were saying, I remember they asked, even in another language that you don't understand, even if they, they spoke Flemish or they spoke French, the people asked, hey, how, how did the new player do? And the people were shaking their heads, ah, he can't play, <laughs> he can't literally play. <laughs> 
So that was my trip back now in 12, sitting in the bus, you know, thinking it's the biggest mistake of my career to move because, you know, I was known in Zambia playing and now I was in Belgium and coming from this friendly match, not, not having touched the ball, probably touched the ball 45 minutes, first 45 minutes once, in the second half, maybe three, four times. Uh, not one go on target, not one good pass, nothing. So, you know, when I, I was like thinking, oh, I, I don't know, I don't know, it just blank. So I think the weather plays a big part in, um, uh, in anybody going to, to Europe uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's frightening. And, and so this is what happened to me. I love stories like that because it shows the mental toughness, the fortitude, how you developed when you came to Europe. And it's something... I think people sometimes discount is it's a completely different culture and the players of this generation, when we celebrate Mane, when we celebrate Salah, when we celebrate all those amazing players who have come through, they stood on the, the shoulders of giants like yourself. So I'm sure like them, we're so grateful for the lessons you guys learned. Uh, Courtney, it looks like you want to come in. Uh, just a question. Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I wanted to say that, uh, needless to say, uh, because it was like a two-week period that you had to, uh, to train. So after I trained, after that uh, fateful first match, terrible first match, then I think we, we, play, we started to train Monday, Tuesday, and then on, on Wednesday, you know, after I'd been like a week, uh, you know, the coach, George Lickens, I'm, I'm sure you guys know, know him. George Lickens mm. uh, he was coach of the national team, he was uh, of Belgium, he brought all this wonderful team together with uh, uh, with this boy, what's the name of the, the coach? Uh, uh, Wilmots, you, you remember? Wilmots, yep. That, uh, Mark Wilmots, and then uh, George Lickens had to step back, and he was my coach then, and um, he then organized the match, like on a Wednesday, 5, 5.30, you know, and at 5 o'clock, I mean, it's already dark, because it's coming to winter. And, and so we organized the match. So I, it was, it was a, a everything or nothing match for me. And so I, I was able to play to say, today we're going to see, you know, what this guy is made of. He's been here maybe 10 days. So this is, this is the game for him. And I played with the second team and um, against the first team, you know, like on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the first half, I, uh, I played, uh, you, know, you know, the best football that I ever played in my life. Uh, and I scored the goal, okay, in the first half. So we were leading, beating the first team 1-0. And then the guy said, okay, <laughs> this is something, you know, it is out of ordinary that this guy can play this well. And after that, after that match, in, you know, I you know, started 5.30, 7.30, the guys, when we were changing, when we went back in the changing room, they couldn't believe. They, we were sure, and the people said, no, uh, call the president. Uh, they had to call Mr. Duchenne, who was the president. He had gone to his, his, his uh, house. He lived maybe 30, 40 minutes away from, from the stadium. And they said, no, we're going to give you the contract. So that's how I signed my contract wow. that night. <laughs> they knew they couldn't let you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Courtney, the, you had a question. Uh, Kalusha, I'm just going back to uh, uh, a part of the story you told a bit earlier on. You said that you got to the ground, it was very muddy, you started playing in your multi-studs, which 
you know, on African pitches is almost every player uses multi-stats. Have you ever used six studs before up until that point? Um, yes, I had. But, uh, in Namibia, but uh, people would kick me so much, you know, because we didn't have uh, VAR, uh, refereeing that it, it, the fouls were fouls, you know, they could kick, somebody could kick you from behind that there was no uh, you know, <laughs> professional power. It was it, it was uh, all systems go. Uh, Francis will tell you, uh, you know, when you play against Emmanuel Kunde and the guys there, they <laughs> they'll kill. So um, in the stages of my career, I, I used to wear maybe a six-studded boot on my right foot, and then you know the plastic on my left because. When the guys would come to kick me, I would lift my right boot so that they would hit the stats. And then I would turn. You understand? So I used it, but you know, sparingly, you know, it's not like so I used it like you know, four or five times in, in, in my career in a match. But uh, I hadn't I wasn't um, I wasn't uh, very nobody was keen. Nobody in, in our country was keen unless you were a defender and you wanted to intimidate somebody. <laughs> it's it's just it's just such a a, a defining moment. You go on trials, you're breaking into Europe, you're trying to break into Europe, and you have to start using footwear you've never really used before. And then you know, uh, uh, these are all the minor difficulties that even make it more difficult for a player. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. No, no, yeah. And the fields were different, you know, the fields are different today. You know, today is like people, it's a, like a billiard uh, a table. Is when you watch the, uh, the the football that we watch on TV today, I mean, it's uh, you know one one the turf is is better uh, what, uh, from country to country. It's like a standard, you know. Uh, in those days, you you see some of the images that we see in Africa when they show you uh, in South Africa the PSL in Zambia. Um, anyway, you know the pitches as hard as uh, you know it's like they haven't watered this these grounds for, for like four or five weeks and they expect you to camp on the on these grounds. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's completely different. Thank you. That that is fantastic insight. And this is what we love doing in the show is getting that. But um and Kalusha, we're gonna ask you more about your career and your experiences as the show goes on. But the title for this show is to celebrate some of Africa's most famous tens. Francis, you came up with this topic. What was it that inspired it? Um, it's actually a topic that was inspired by players. Uh, Kalusha can recall we were together, I think maybe it was four years ago now. I'm actually not even sure how long back it was. Uh, but we, we, have, we were inspired to get together into a room, a group of African players. Um, but it was founded from a conversation that we were had that was had a few months prior about the absence of the thinking African player in European football in particular. And uh, that's why the number 10, who's usually attributed with being the playmaker, the, the person who really is almost unscripted, um, uncanny, unorthodox, uh, almost uncoachable, but has something innate in them that brings in that X factor into a team that can see the plays when they're needed in the moment as opposed to on the board. Uh, we had realized that there seemed to be a shortage of these players that we knew played these roles for their national teams. But somehow when they were in their clubs, 
they were played in different positions or were not spoken of in the same regard, usually particularly because they came out of the African space. And there was a definition for what the African player was supposed to be. He's supposed to be athletic. He's supposed to be, uh, you know, physical. And maybe he can be the water carrier, but not necessarily the thinker on the on the pitch or like what the Americans would call in their game, uh, the quarterback. So we were trying to invite a group of gentlemen who we knew had these skills, who understood the game better than anybody else. But to say, how do we have a competition? conversation that goes beyond football to say but are there certain roles that the African is defined into and what was interesting is at the early part of the conversation was we spoke with a coach in particular who said the greatest part of this conversation begins even in primary school in the European spaces because it's the PE teacher who maybe says to the young lad who comes out and is really good with football but then they say okay we'll play you out on the wing or you could be a nine, but it's a different type of nine. Like, you know, somebody's going to get the ball over to you and all you have to do is stick it in the net. Or you're going to play in defense because you're big and strong and you win the ball. And, and we thought, but in our national teams, we have all of these players. But when they get into Europe, somehow we have zones that have been predefined for us to fit into. So when you see a player like Kaindono, for example, playing left back <laughs> and you're thinking how did he end up over there or uh, Yaya Toure playing in defense for Barcelona and you're thinking Yaya indeed I know he can he's a big guy but is that really his role uh, and this has happened very often JJ Okoche at Paris Saint-Germain played completely different roles to that of a normal number 10 you would see um, so for me, it, it was about us maybe examining the roles that the number 10 plays that goes beyond football, but how the game maybe overall has come to identify this space and maybe in the global marketplace excluded the African from there. But you've had the exceptions. There have been a few who have forced their ways into it. So a JJ Okocha, for example, nobody can contest. But that a JJ only played 10 maybe at a Bolton say something about that system at the same time. That an Arsenal or a Man United could not conceive of taking a JJ and say, come be that guy for us. Say something about the system as well. Um, so that's where it came from. And I'm really excited by where we're gonna go with it today, especially having a big brother like Kalusha with us, who is a magical number 10. And who was somebody who some people always said was kind of like a winger, but for his national team, he played, he made the thing happen there. But when he got back to the clubs, there were some games where he was the 10, but most games he was supporting somebody else. So he can give us some insight maybe from how it was for him and how he saw it as well. The great Kalu, over to you. Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Francis. You, um, and, and you're absolutely right. We have been excluded on the continent and in the, in the people's minds. They, they just feel like, you know, when you have, if you look at a Betty Pele, you know, who has represented us uh, over so many years, and he played in Marseille and also he used the number 10. Um, you know, he was, yes, you know, he should be in that position, uh, you know, to play as a number 10 and to give him the confidence. J.J. Okocha, uh, probably the, the most skillful guy, you know, that has come out of the continent. Um, I always think, I, when I meet J.J., I always tell him, he can still play today <laughs> because uh, because of his skill 
you know, because you don't, those skills that don't come uh, so often in, in Africa. So yeah, it's true. Um, uh, we as Africans have always been interested in the playmaker. Okay, so the, the guys who were able to, to lift us, you know, in, in, in Africa, where the guys who had skill, you know, Africans, we love the guy when he has skill, can control the ball, the way he controls the ball, the people, even the people, they say, ah, that, that, geez, hey, did you see the way he controlled the ball? You know, we were always so much in love with, the, with, with skill, you know, because it is a competition that we, we are bond, you know, we uh, playing just, you know, starting in, in, um, on, on a football field, the guys would just hit the ball and, you know, we're just controlling the ball to see who has better skill than the other one, you know. I'm sure the Courtney will, will say that uh, because, you know, in South Africa, they're famous for the shoe shine. Uh, you know, I think that in the old days, it was, was <laughs> the shoe shine. You know, that even today, people yeah. that want somebody who has Lucia, skill. Let, on the let, let me tell you, the, the only shoe shining that Courtney did was on his boots. <laughs> You know, you know, I'll tell you, uh, uh, I must, I must, that phrase was brought in by the late, great Ted Dumitri, the Romanian, when, yeah. when, uh, which my uncle told me the story when he played under Ted Dumitri uh, at Kaiser Chiefs. He said Ted Dumitri had come from Europe. It's actually an Italian phrase, which is called shine and piano, which means quick and fast, uh, rapid and slow movements. Obviously, with a bit of African flair, we created it to sound authentic shoeshine and piano. Uh, but, yeah. the <laughs> but the term is uh, a, a term about creativity as well, you know, about entertainment. It, it, it is about uh, expressing the skill. Oh, beautiful term. I actually forgot about that term. Let me also remind you that uh, uh, Ted Dimitri uh, came, came from, uh, he was coaching, coaching the national team. You know, in Zambia. Uh, Ted Dimitri coached the national team in Zambia uh, uh, and then came to, uh, to, to South Africa. And so um, what I wanted to say to Francis is that we, we were being overlooked in that position because if you look at uh, uh, we as Africans, the first thing that we want to see, we want to see uh, uh, Zico play in that position in the World Cup as number 10. And so we have had a lot of uh, people in the Maradonas when they started and everything, they're playing shirt number 10. I think Mario Kempis played, she used shirt number 10 in, in the World Cup. So uh, Johan Cruyff, you know, although Johan Cruyff used, preferred to use the seven uh, or 14, he was 14, but he was, he was the, the number 10, the brains uh, behind. So over the years, as we, I am thinking about as we, you know, uh, because I would just say where we grew up uh, with with everybody, we always wanted to see somebody, you know, play that position who can be able to hold the ball, distribute. I'll tell you a name that never played in, in Europe. That was my mentor, you know, was my 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 hero. Uh, it's a guy called Alex Chola. Alex Chola. He played uh, in uh, in um, uh, Cote d'Ivoire together with uh, Peter Kalumba when they were, it was quite. A little bit on the, um, you know, coming to the end of his career, but they did play in Afri Africa sport in, in Cote d'Ivoire. And he, in his heyday, he could make, you know, this what you call shoeshine. He, he, he could make, he could make um, uh, you know, the sun would come out 
You understand what I'm saying? You know, you would go home thinking, how in the hell did he do that? Because he's the guy who could score a free kick and he could control the ball from the air. He could shoot with the left, he could shoot with the right, he could dribble two or three people, but he just confused the whole people because he was right in the middle of the pitch. You know, he was not playing, like Francis said, you know, because when you have a Betty Teller, they say, okay, you go on the left, or you have a Kalusha, you say, no, go on the left, you know, and, and then drift inside. You have Mustafa Haji, you know, say, go on the left, and then drift, come inside. You have a Leo Messi, go on the, on the, on the, on the right, drift inside. You know, so it's not like that. He was right in the middle, and he was one of the best, best players and, and, or that I've seen in my generation as when I was young, and also that I wanted to emulate because, you know, I've been all, all over the world. And I never saw anybody with that skill, you know, with that skill, a guy who could be able to control the ball and do something that uh, other players only dream about. And, not not during the week, but during the match, you know, because there are players who play very well during the training, and then they can't produce that at, at the weekend. And he used to produce week in and out a skill that you've never seen as, as a young person, you've never seen before. So uh, this is what I want to say. So I think that too, the, the position has evolved. You know, the, we are more, if you look at the, the, the the South Americans, uh, the guy like Riquelme, uh, Riquelme played for Barcelona. There's, you know, those Absolutely. Are the, uh, that is best unstoppable. The last number 10, uh, Ronaldinho, somebody has mentioned Ronaldinho, Zidane, you know, for France. Uh, these are the last number 10s that we, we, have, we have had. But that responsibility has never been given to uh, more an African. Uh, for example, to like JJ, I think probably or Abu Trika, these guys to be given that position in a prominent team in in Europe or anywhere, you know, to play that position whilst they can be able to do it. They were not given the you know they were not given the tools or uh, the instruments of power to say you do this. You know, the whole team will rally behind you and you you can go. So I think this is uh, what has happened over the years. There's, there's kind of really not no denying that there has been the talent throughout the years, and I think that unfortunately misconception has been to overlook African players. And um, I, I kind of just trying to think about the reasons why they would do that. And you look at players, for example, like um, you know JJ Kocha, um, and you said you know always kind of pushed out to the to the, to the left or or to the right. I think sometimes these these clubs had that conception of okay, well if he's fast, he's probably better use on the wing, but it's not about that, and they need to realise that he had that ability. It doesn't matter if he's fast, you know, he still has that ability, and, and he should be playing that number 10 role. And um, I think, you know, for me, Yara Torre is the biggest, you know, shock in, in how the sense that Barcelona and even at Man City was he was being played so deep when he had that ability to play as number 10 and did that for Ivory Coast. And I remember in the 2012-2013 season, he was the top goal-scoring midfielder, top assists. And that he was being played in that position, that was his best position. All of a sudden, you had I can't remember who came into that to that replace, you know, not replace him, but in in Man City, and he was pushed further, you know, deeper back. And it's it's that case where it's like well, he's he's tall, he's big, oh, he can do everything. So let's let's put, take him out of that position when, you know, in European footballers, are, you know, they're saying, well, hey, well, you can do that. I'm ten, you're staying there, and, and I think that's the problem, really. Yeah. 
the, the, um, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, Yaya was uh, uh, an imposing, imposing guy uh, as a midfielder and um, uh, usually successful, in, in my opinion, when you think, and all the requisites of, of uh, because he's, he's thinking very quick, you know, when he gets the boys already passing. You know, like you say, Man City literally drove Man City to Manchester City to the title in that year because it, sometimes he would even get the ball from uh, the halfway <laughs> in his own half and start to run with the ball and nobody would stop it. You know, so and free kicks, you know, uh, uh, very, very good and also passing. So, yeah, it's, we, we have had the, the players. Um, we we have never just entrusted them. They've been entrusted maybe for for a season or, or maybe for two seasons, and then afterwards there will be talk to supplement or just bring in another player. And, but also the systems have changed. Um, I mean, if you think about the systems, uh, you know the systems have changed a lot uh, because it depends on which Africa Cup or which World Cup. And normally the World Cup, then you would see which system the people are using. Uh, if you look, if you look um, at, at the Opero, uh, for example, for Italy, uh, he is number 10. Before him, maybe Roberto Baggio. Uh, if you look going back, you would see all these, these players who have played in the World Cups. And then, but it, today, if you think about the 4 3 3, you have uh, the number 10 itself. Um, his role is also to track back the people say, yeah, that's the thing, the coaching web, they said, no, he has to, to be box to box. And you know, the English like to use that, uh, you know, box to box, a guy like, like Lampard, uh, Frankie Lampard, you know, that's the kind they, they want. They want somebody in that position or Steven Gerrard to go from, you know, up and down, up and down. So as a result, he has been more versatile. And I think the new number 10 is good because when you don't have the ball, people defend. And, and then when you have the ball, you give it to your, your creative player. And, and he has to, you know, to, to be able to do what he can do. But I also wanted to make one point uh, to say that, you know, the three people, you know, today, you know, who has changed a lot in, in the world football in the last decade or last 15 years was the Iniesta, Xavi, and, and maybe the connection with the Messi that triangle where they were able to you know now hold the ball because Iniesta in, in himself was good number 10. Xavi uh, more defensive, more area to rank, you know, more a little bit more defensive. But a guy like Iniesta is the guy who could be able to do that. So we have changed football more than football has changed because of these guys, you know, we have, because of the results and they, it has changed a lot. And and uh, we uh, uh, but eventually, we should produce good players who can be able to occupy those important roles in the in the big teams in Europe. I think you've touched on a really, really good point there, Kalusha, because um, I think it's the transition of Pep Guardiola in particular in uh, Barcelona and the creation of the nine and a half, the fourth nine, where he moved away and divvied up the roles between the striker and the support striker and spread it amongst three players. So even if when you look at a team like Liverpool today, for example, and with Mane and Salah, who could be nines and could be tens at the same time, they're definitely not traditional nines, but they could be traditional tens. 
even Firmino as well, but they've divvied up the work and almost spread it across three. But Pep started this, and I think uh, if we look at Yaya and his time in Barcelona, and we study that, I think uh, it helps to helps us to better understand this new dynamic because I know part of Yaya's frustration there was um, it was in the turnover with Pep and the demand on him to be a lot more defensive, whilst he knew he was an offensive-minded player. But I think his physical stature imposed maybe the thinking that he should be able to do more than just be smart. So maybe the excuse used to be for the smaller guy was kind of like, but he, you can't ask him to track back. So he'll be the guy who'll make it happen. But if the guy's able to write the tackles and why doesn't he do that as well? But for a creative player, uh, I think in the African space, um, and you touched on this really well, the joy of our football is an expression. It's very South America. It's very South American in its nature. And our heroes in African football were the South American guys. It was, they were the Zikos, the, even the, the Sobeties. The defenders we saw in, in South American football excited the African space because it's very similar to our culture. We don't have uh, football academies in great numbers. Our football is street football. And but the joy we get in the vestiaires, as they say in French, in, in the stands, is rooted predominantly in the expression, not a philosophy that says there's a functionality to the game. As a Cameroonian, I know Cameroonian team had played better football as a team at the time when they won nothing. But they had control, and the frustration in Cameroon used to be, we're playing like Europeans. <laughs> because, and we didn't have a 10. So we had a system in place in which I keep the ball and don't lose the ball. But players like Yaya Toure, players even like Salif Keita, when Salif came, I know he was turning up at at um, Barcelona for Pep to play on the left side. Um, but he was also at 10. But they were going, he was replacing, I think it was Deco, who was who just left in Ronaldinho had just left and they were looking. So if you think that these are two South American expressionists who are coming in, but the African player who was brought in was kind of instructed to hang to the left and just stick to that role. And then he had this game against Zaragoza or something where he scored a, a hat-trick and it was crazy. But you could see that even the way the Barcelona fans were taken to him was kind of like, ah, oh, this guy's good. But nonetheless, he was still pigeonholed because of commentary, I think. And this is the big part, I think, that has a place. Not necessarily the coaches, the words that are used to describe our talent sometimes by the media in the Western world define them almost. The uses of words like uh, athletic and strong and almost puts it in the minds of the fans that the player should be certain things. So even like mod a modern day player would be like a Pogba, for example, where he's not given the freedom to maybe attempt to become a traditional number nine or sorry, a traditional number 10 simply because he looks like a big strapping lad and that's how he's described. So it's kind of, he should be able to tackle more. He should be able, but nobody asks that of Messi. <laughs> nobody says track back and win the ball back and pass it to the other guy. But maybe because of our sizes, and I think this is part for the conversation, is maybe there's some attributes in us that lend to our multi-dimensional definitions that makes it hard for us to fit into the traditional term. But the traditional term almost no longer exists anymore. A bigger uh, Teofield was a genius for Cameroon, unknown to most people. 
my introduction to South African football as a Cameroonian was with Dr. Kamalo, the goal he scored against us. And I remember us, I remember watching that game and thinking, who's this guy? And South Africa had not been part of world football before, so I wasn't exposed to him. But the genius on the ball, and I was like, ah, so every number 10 is called doctor. That's how we knew it. It was like, you're the doctor of this team. You make it happen. You heal the football. So when it's boring, you enjoy to it. You know, so... Again, that's that's my little thoughts at present. Yeah, it's true. The, 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 I think that it's also because you can be a talented player, but the coach has to believe in you. You see, so the mm -hmm. coach also has to believe. Yeah, are we going to build the team around this player, and because he's, uh, you know, he's, he's to use his talent or to go to his potential? But like you say, there's a stereotype where we say maybe you are not there for to do the thinking. You know, we'll do the thinking, you do the running, you know, so, <laughs> so, so um, I think that, uh, and, you know, over the years we have, we have produced uh, exceptional players, you know, we're able to hold the ball, pass the ball and, and, and do all kinds. But it, uh, for me, I think that we should also encourage, um, not because there's the, the, a lot of passing today, uh, our players are more suited you know, to, to, to play anywhere. And they can control with the ball with the left and play with the right. They should, we should encourage them more to, to play a lot more small-sided games because that is what we never used to, uh, to do in the old days because, because of the economics. Um, in my first team, in, in the Super Division team, which is first division team, which was Montreal Blackpool, maybe we had two footballs, you know, that we're, we were using uh, during the week. And then we will use them also for the for the match at, at the weekend. So it comes to economics as well. Again, you know, where you know, do we have enough enough footballs to develop our skill? Uh, because we, if we have two ball, footballs uh, for training, um, you know, so the coach comes and he has to to use his technical know-how to say, guys, um, okay, eleven players here, ten players, ten and the goalkeeper. Let, let us play a match. Let me watch for twenty for twenty five minutes. You know, it goes up, 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 up. How many times do you touch the ball? Then okay, change now. Let's put new players. You know, so all these things of of uh, passing and uh, and and getting more footballs at training has only come down in, in Africa. The, so the development so it did not help us as uh, people who like to be more on on the ball to pass the ball, to get the ball and, and, and do things with the ball. It did not help us because economically, we were not able to, to have this, uh, this luxury uh, growing up. So as a result, when you come to 16, 17, uh, literally, you, uh, how many times have, uh, have you trained <laughs> with, with your own football, you know? So, so this is the, the skill that we have missed over, over the years. But today, that's why I'm saying today and going forward, Surely, with the academies that we have, with the, you know, the systems that we have, the, the Barca Academy, Manchester City Academy, Chelsea Academy, everywhere, and everybody comes. So we, we'll be able to learn a lot more so that we can produce the kind of player that we, that we want. But may I ask a question, though, on the subject you just referred to on academies, don't you, what are your thoughts in terms of maybe academies can... Um, Take away that natural flair and from a very early age, you feel sometimes, because I, I have this opinion that some of our greatest talents were the ones who were almost 
didn't go through that route. Like a JJ was, guy was on holiday in Germany when he was discovered. He was, you know, if he'd gone to the academy, he probably may have been coached out of those instincts. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yes and no, but because you know we, you can only get better with when you play with good players. And so, as as a young player today, um, if if you look at the players that are being you know today uh, groomed, I think that they are able to already by nine, ten, eleven, we they are already much more advanced, like than we were advanced in a way. You know why? Because they every they go to training maybe four times a week, or, and then with with a organized match at, at the weekend. So it is it is important for a football player to go in organized training and then touch the ball, know how to control the ball, to pass the ball, shoot, um, you know, physically go forward. I think that Africa will then be able to compete. You know, in the later stages, what we are talking about when we talk about um, the the JJs, that those are exceptionally talented players. Uh, you know, who, you know they're gifted. So, but if you train them, they would have been even more. You know, they would they would have gotten more, even probably more out of their career than than they had gotten. Not to say that they did, but I'm just saying that you know they've been playing maybe for Manchester United. And, and, and I'm just saying, not, not bottom, because the guy played for Paris, Paris Saint-Germain. So it, it, we, we, um, we have so much talent. The thing is that in Africa, we lose so much talent before the kids get to 14, 15 years old. We lose a lot of talent. And, and I would give myself as an example, because we had a team, you know, when we were 9, 10, 11, uh, 12, very, very good team. Used to beat everybody. Because and this is organized by ourselves, not by anybody else. So when you stop, you move to town from your parents or something, your uncle, your aunt, or you know, you go, you change town, go to another town, come back. You know, some of us came back at 16, 16 and a half. Already the people say, Oh, so the, the warrior brothers there, they're playing for black food. And then the guys that we used to play with at, when they were when we were 12. And we were on par, and even they were maybe better in controlling the ball or something, but they didn't, after they changed town or they didn't play that much football, they want to come back at 16, it was too late. You know, it's like the whole football has gone out, the chip has gone out of that, so they were not able to, to have the career that they were supposed to have because there was no training. So we lose a lot of players between those the, the age group because not of organized football, but now we are gaining. This is where we're gaining with the, all these different teams that, that we have. So we are gaining and we are getting more and more good players um, in uh, out of Africa. Good question. Great answer. I know we've uh, celebrated Yaya. I know we've celebrated JJ, but I'd like to move it into a space where we can bring in some other names and maybe we'll take it up north. Ahmed. Who are some of the perfect tens, the great tens in history that we've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think um, especially for, you know, obviously you've got Mohammed Al-Trika, who's kind of obviously the most famous Egyptian, but from, for, for Egyptian fans and, and historically, the, the one player who's really stood out is Mahmoud Al-Khatib, who um, was a great player back in the, in the early 80s, um, and, and he played that traditional number 10 role um, for Egypt and Al-Ahli. 
And I think, uh, as you mentioned now, the game has changed. And I think back then he was able to kind of play that role and it was slightly different to now. But um, for me, he was kind of a, a top player. And, and some people in Egypt still regard him now as better than Abu Trika and better than Mohamed Salah. He won the um, African Player of the Year in 1983. He was uh, won the African Cup of Nations, won the African Champions League, won the Egyptian Premier League. So he was a... You know, a, a a typical he was a winner and he was the fundamental to the Ahli team to win a lot of those trophies and I think it's because of his you know uh, and I think maybe because uh, I touched on it before you know he wasn't the fastest player he wasn't kind of you know the player that you say okay maybe you should go out on the wing he was kind of a very a a average pace player but he had that technical ability and that's why he was in that number 10 and for me he's one of the, the kind of three people I've, I've highlighted um, as, as, as somebody who you know one of the top uh, tens and you know, and, and mainly for his accolades, really. And I want to add to that, because my first trip, uh, uh, when my first trip, when we came with Zambia, I came in 1982. In 1982, um, Zambia went to, to Libya, it was the Libya Africa Pop Nations. So I was, I think, uh, this thin and, and very young. <laughs> Courtney's never been that thin, so he doesn't know what you're talking about, Kalusha. <laughs> So, so the people said, no, no, I was just coming out of school. We went for trials. Uh, we were, like I said, we were sitting there. Nobody, you know, gave us a chance, but we, you know, we were, there was a guy called Antiposelic. He was a coach, he was from Yugoslavia. So we went to uh, Dagamashwad Stadium in Zambia for the Copper Belt people. And uh, we trained there. Uh, we were 60 players. Like I said, one ball, people started to play. They chose some players. Uh, incidentally, my older brother was also chosen to go to nation, and I was not. Uh, but I did play. I came in like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes before the end. And I, I tried to dribble. I dribbled everybody. <laughs> so the coach didn't know me. And Boselic said, hey, who's this young man? Why can we not take him? The, the people said, no, 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 he's too thin, man. He can't play, you know. You can't, can't have a teenager going to the Africa of Nations. Africa of Nations is only for guys when they are 25, 26, 27. <laughs> so in 1982, coming to Ahmed, uh, the team went very successful in 1982 in Libya. The team was third. Uh, and then so when they came back, we started a new team. Uh, a guy called uh, Bill Magari who was the coach. So we went for trials again. 60 here, 60 there, blah, 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 chosen now. We came to play in Egypt in 1982, um, and I was on the trip uh, with Bill Magari, and then we, we found um, El from Omar El there. And the people, unbelievable, I've never seen so much love for, for one, one player in, in an African country like the people of El -Khatib. So every time from our hotel to go to the stadium, there were people lining up, and everybody was 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 shouting. His nickname was Bibo, so they're shouting Bibo, Bibo, Bibo. And I said, "Who is this Bibo? I mean, <laughs> who the hell is this guy?" And true to his to you know his name, the guy was unbelievable. And I I also want to say that he's my very good friend. We get along very well, but he was something else. He was something else. Um, and um, uh, needed to say, I didn't play in 1982, 
but uh, later when we have played against uh, Egypt, I think 83, we also played against Egypt 84, just before, I think when he, he did stop to play. And he always troubled us. He always troubled us. And he was one of the best players that I've ever seen in um, one of the best in Africa. Yeah, so. yeah his, um, his nickname, Bieber, is, as you said, it's, it's like that Salah fandom, that crazy fandom for him back then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he, he was a, an exceptional player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Let's keep it with another blast from the past. Corny Fries, who do you have for us? You know, uh, Jomo Sono, um, I actually thought he was a businessman, mm. basically, because he's one of the most successful businessmen in the country, Jomo Sono. He runs his own football team. He's the manager, he's the coach, he's the president of his own team. He also runs uh, huge businesses through Cecil, uh, the, the, the petroleum company. I didn't know he played football until I started playing football and then started to speak to these legends of the game. Uh, and then to find out that this guy used to play alongside uh, the great Pele in, in America, something I did not know. So for that particular fact, I, if you've played with Pele, for goodness sake, you, it's like you're in the Bulls team. You, you can't be a mug. You've got to be someone worth a lot of quality. But just going back, free kick taking, like the, 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 the old professionals are speaking to this week. Where did you think of specialists in taking free kicks? Jomo Sono was that guy. Someone that was able to carry the ball, uh, wasn't a striker, but scored multiple goals and was highly creative and was an entertainer for the supporters. Uh, yeah. And a, a funny story I also heard this week was that on the day he got married, he left his wife at the altar. Orlando Pirates, the team that grew up off his back, Ivan causes this great today. Just remember where the cultivation of that team has come from. Jomo Sono left his wife at the altar. Orlando Pirates was losing 2-0 to Highlands Park. Went to the Rand Stadium, played, scored two goals. One was a free kick and then went back, married his wife and finished the reception. You know? He's a brave man. And that's, you know, you know, when he was telling the story, his wife was sitting there, he said, that's where the dad celebrates, I celebrated with two hands up, one to, for the goal, one to apologize to my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I, I cannot talk in depth about him because I've never watched him play, but a comment I heard from a respected professional was, he did it one way. And it was always the perfect way. He was creative. He was something people had not seen in the country ever and have not seen up till this day. Uh, and, you know, that is such a, a huge phrase to add. Uh, yeah. a, a legend like that. If I, I can... mean, Jomo, Jomo means yeah. burning spear in the Kikui language. And he was actually named after the great Kenyan leader, Jomo Kenyatta, because they saw Jomo Sono as somebody who could be a great leader on the field and also backed with amazing skill. The, the thing that, that you, you, like uh, Courtney says, you, you know, South Africa has such a great, great history of football. Um, and, and the guys who were, were able to put South Africa, um, because in those uh, uh, difficult times, uh, was sport and was football. Um, even you know, I I stay in, in Johannesburg and and when you we watch on SABC, sometimes they show their old footage 
and also in this lockdown, they show some old footage of some matches. You can't believe how many people used to go and see these, these matches, first of all. But I know a bit of uh, Jomo Sonno's history uh, because, of course, he's my friend. And, you know, we have spent many, many days together and, and he was able to tell me, because I'm interested in, in, in football and the history, and also coming from Zambia, where we had uh, Zumun Jogu, Samuel Zumun Jogu, who, who played uh, football and, and in the 60s, and they even wanted to have him in, uh, in England, but, you know, remained, uh, remained in Zambia. And then also a guy called uh, Gottfried Chitalo, although he didn't go to the Americas, but we had, uh, I think, three players in those days go and play in Atlanta Chiefs in, the, in, in America. The MLS then or in National Soccer League or something that it was called. So that was Fred Mueller and then there was Howard Mikuta and uh, one other guy, Emmett Kapenga. They played in this time together with, uh, with Jomo Sono and also with uh, Kaiser Matua. You know, so it's, it's brilliant history when you, when, when, you, when you listen to them and also explain how they were able to go that side uh, my particular interest is also the uh, Kaiser Chiefs, the, the founder, uh, Kaiser Motuang. He came to Zambia and played for Blackpool, my, my first team in Zambia. And, and so because he was not a, the, the, the guys for the trials, uh, they wanted to see him in Zambia. And so he traveled there, played the match there, and, and then left. And uh, recently, I think last year, last year or something, when we met and we had some lunch, he was telling me, ah, when he was in Zambia, there was a guy called Zoom. And I said, yeah, that was, you know, Zoom, that famous coach from the 1998, uh, when Zambia beat, uh, beat Italy. He was a dribbler. He, I mean, I think that when Ahmed talks about Bibo, that nickname in Zambia, there's a, nickname, there's a name called Zoom. When we're young, we used to use it. When we want to dribble somebody, we'll say, I'll dribble you like Zoom. You know, so, so because he used to apparently dribble a, a, a lot of people on the field. So, yeah, South Africa is fantastic, fantastic story. Uh, Esmo Selen, S also was a, in a special, special talent that, uh, you know, even if you see footage of the guys today, you think, oh, no, these guys should have been uh, African player of the year, not, not once, but two times or three times. In, in, and Asen uh, Selengo was at um, in Toronto with Jomo Sonho and Pele, uh, which is something that, you know, as I said, a guy from my generation, I thought this was just a businessman. But when you start to find out the rich history of your creativity on the field, it's just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. No question about that. Um, Ahmed, let's ping it back up to the north. Um, and I know the person you're going to speak about next is one of the reasons I actually followed Coventry in the 90s. Yeah, so um, Mustafa Hadji, he, I mean, he was a bit before my time in the sense that I you know, missed his, his era, playing era at Coventry, but he was very, um, very well known for his um, playing time there. And, and uh, alongside another Moroccan, they, all the Coventry fans used to wear these fezzes and they kind of, that, that was their thing back then. And um a very, very, very talented um, attacking midfielder. Again, one of those players who um, sometimes overshadowed in his club career and put more on on the wing. I mean, for Morocco, he was always at number ten. But you know, he, he you know, he some other clubs when he was playing and maybe at, um, Deportivo he sometimes pushed out wide. But he was a very, very talented attacking midfielder, and he's been highly praised throughout, uh, throughout his career. And I think 
um, he had a his, you know his fame time came through when he was at Deportivo when he scored against against uh, Barcelona and then quite you know getting a big win for them there. So I think yeah he's a, he's a kind of a, a um, yeah, African attacking shoulder. Yeah, and and a former African footballer of the year, played in two World Cups with Morocco, and an absolute magician um, who made teams like Coventry, like Deportivo, uh, very watchable. Of course, also spent time at Lisbon and Villa. So absolutely amazing. Um, Sorry, Zane, his, his time at Coventry is all that I remember of him. That's how I got to know him. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Pl- playing under Gordon Strachan, this team was fighting relegation. They were going to be knocked out of the top flight. And he became such an integral part of that team and saved him from relegation that season. Um, just the, because um, Coventry had the two Moroccans playing for them up front. Yusuf Chippo was the other guy. Yeah. So, well, absolutely unbelievable creative-wise. Now, Coventry were the square peg in the round hole. They were the functional team, as Francis used that word earlier on. They were... Uh, hard running, we tackle, we defend, we fight for our lives. There was no flair in that team until Haji got into that side and started scoring goals, left, right and centre, but playing centrally with lots of creativity. It was just beautiful to watch in a struggling team. We'll keep... keep, Oh, sorry, go on, Kalusha. Yeah, I think that... uh, No, Haji, of course, I mean, uh, swift movement... um, is good coaches that he was assistant coach to every now and I think he's still there. They went to, they went to the World Cup, uh, well respected in terms of coaching, but also brilliant, brilliant guy. We worked together also in the, uh, for, as ambassador for the 2010 uh, South African beat. Um, it, it's his skills, you know, that I think that the, the, the North, if you look at uh, North Africa, has produced exceptional talented players, and and Haji is one of them. He, he came, I think, Zambia in 1994 when we played there. He, I think, he was just making his debut and playing then in 1994 because he was at the at the World Cup. Um, very, 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 very good player. And if you look at the history that, especially some of us who have played against. The, the big teams of uh, Egypt, the big teams of Morocco, uh, Algeria with Rabba Maja and Ben Salah and Salah Assad, you know, Haji had that skill set, you know, to, to be able to play in, in all these teams, you know, put together because it was it's phenomenal, phenomenal football player. Courtney, we're, we're talking about some rarefied tens, but one of the ones that you wanted to highlight was a star for Orlando Pirates, Jomo Cosmos, and the mighty Tampa Bay Buccaneer Mutiny when they existed in the MLS. A Mozambican by the name of, drumroll. Tico, Tico, Bukwane. <laughs> Honestly, Zane, I, the, the, the reason I picked Tico, Tico is not from a point of view of just what you saw on the field. I remember when we used to play Jomo, Jomo Cosmos. That's the team he played for in South Africa. We had two national team centre-backs in our team, both playing for Bafana Bafana at the time. The manager, we had won the league, uh, Gordon Ingerson. Uh, we had won the league the year before. So we were quite a powerful side at that moment. But the team talk, every time we came up against uh, Tico Tico was... 
Who's going to mark him? Where are you going to pick him up? He's a striker, but he plays very deep into the field. What must we do? It was such a confusion point. It, it was almost he had, they had coined. Now, everybody, uh, Pep Guardiola, they've coined the false nine. They, they were playing a false nine then. The guy was scoring goals, but playing deep into midfield, picking up the ball. And there's the other thing, Zay. He was floating around the field. You, you, you know, class players, um, I know it's a hard thing for someone that hasn't really, uh, and I don't mean to disrespect anybody, but when you say a player floats past players, the, the tackles were flying in. We were a functional team. Kick, tramp, do everything. But we couldn't get near this guy, you know? And scored lots of goals, highly creative, and, and the team worked around him. Yet he didn't play up front. He played in the number 10 role and made it work. And also, who was the manager at the time? My other number 10, Chomosono. Of course. And Tiko Tiko, a man who played in three AFCONs, um, played the most games for his country, Mozambique, and is their top goal scorer. Certainly, um, you get very few arguing his greatness uh, in, in Mozambique. Definitely, I mean, it's done. It is part. Um, you know, we we were always busy in uh, in Zambia. I think in, in this time uh, with the work as coach or, or with the association. But yeah, you know, Africa has so many talented players. You know, Mozambique, you know, Tiko Tiko in in those days. So yeah, Mozambique has produced some uh, some good players. But I I used to love uh, Tiko Tiko. Like you say, um, whatever he could be able to do with the ball, the guys easily should have mm -hmm. been playing in um, in Benfica or in a Sporting or, or something like this. Really, really, mm -hmm. really very very talented, like Cody says. And and you know the, the 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 whole mentality during that period. You must think there were these strikers. Uh, Rafael Chuku was was a big hit at that time. He was at Sundowns, uh, the, the Nigerian guy. He was an absolute steam train of a striker i think he was like six foot three he basically was a lock playing football i don't know how you got such a big guy <laughs> and then and then you had you you had my left foot roger futumba playing in the midfield there so you you had these engines you know so those were the teams we found then you had tico playing in a position and i just remember the coach saying oh okay you you, you as a striker you have to go and fetch him and the defender saying Oh no, if I go there, I'm going to leave my position. The confusion of the false nine that this guy played at the 10 position. Man, a brilliant player. Amazing memories, Courtney. We'll, we'll, we've got three more names to run through on our list. Um, and we'll stay with you, Courtney. Stephen Pinar next. Now, I feel Stephen Pinar is one of the, Now, I, I can almost hear the supporters in the crowd saying, oh, how dare you say that? But I can, for me, Stephen Pinar is one of the great injustices in terms of football. A very successful football player. But when Stephen Pinar was at Ajax in Amsterdam, he was playing the level of football I thought he was going to play. They played Arsenal in the Champions League. He ran uh, Petr Vieira into the ground in terms of creativity and dominating the game. And the square peg round holes, which Francis talks about and the creativity, almost became uh, dulled out at Everton, you know. He just became the, the, the Frank Lampard type of player, back and forth, try score goals. But in his early days, and this is what got him to Europe from Ajax Cape Town, 
was the creative aspect. Thabo Mgameni was running the show in South Africa, running the show in terms of creativity. Steven Pinar comes in as a 17-year-old boy at IX Cape Town, dominates the league, wins a contract and goes to Cape Town in IX in Amsterdam, uh, in Amsterdam and becomes this cult hero at the club after people like Mido and Ibrahimovic just had left. Um, and then we got a big contract move to Dortmund and now the managers start to change the player now. You go play on the wing, you go do this. You, uh, man. Because Courtney, before you, when you highlighted him uh, as a attacking midfielder, I was a bit like, well, I've not seen him play that position. And the reason for is because when I started watching him at Everton, he, that's why he, he was a left-sided midfielder. Then he came to Spurs who I support and he had a, one, one year there and he was overshadowed by Gareth Bale on the left side. For Mimi, he was always a left midfielder. And I spoke to people, I looked into him, and he was a very talented attacking midfielder, played in that position for South Africa. And again, that's what a typical player who was, should have played in that attacking midfield, but inside. You know this player I'm talking about, and there's many players like this. Like Francis, I don't know if you, you could help me with this one. The other player, which is not on my list, is John Obi Mikel. I feel Chelsea killed that person, man. Don't tell me he won trophies. Yes, he can put a table with 40 trophies on. I couldn't care. He was such a big creative player before he got to Chelsea. That were fighting for him. He was, a, he was the typical number 10. His time at Oslo, that's the position he played. When Man United came in and said, we find somebody who's going to come in and play the link player, he ends up at... at, at Chelsea, the rest is history, but the role he plays is not the role he plays for Nigeria. When he's in Nigerian national team, he's their number 10. And yet somehow when he was at Chelsea, he was defined exclusively as a ball-winning, tackling machine. And give the ball to somebody else and stay back. And win it, give it to somebody else. Give it to Frank and stay back. You know. Stephen Pena, the same. A, a, a brilliant player. I, was, I spoke with a, a good friend of mine this morning. And again, to talk about North Africa, not to harp on, but it seems like the North African space has really championed a lot of the examples we have of that creative flair player. So like a, a player like Balumi, for example, Lakda Balumi. You watch some of his, like the showreels for his football. What he was doing on a football at the time and the role, he was the original Zidane and truly, truly unbelievable talent you know and so it's really exciting hearing this but again this example even and john obi Mikel in particular highlight this real challenge in the modern day of these players who have the capacity to control the game to be trusted by the coach like kalusha was saying having that coach that trusts and there comes the question why aren't they trusting them how come we can't Today, have the Colucius. Today, have the JJs. Today, you'd be hard-pressed to name an African 10 in any of the major leagues today who holds that position and is the go-to player, as in give him the ball and he makes it happen. Whether they're diminutive or they're big, you'd be hard-pressed to find them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know, guys, we're fast running out of time as the show um, heads into um, to France's time. Because, Kalusha, you haven't done the show before. We don't have Fergie time. We have Francis time. Um, so... <laughs> no, no, I wanted to comment on... Oh, sorry, go on, go on, Kalusha. 
wanted to comment on Pina because it's very difficult for for Ajax, you know, to come in Africa. Of course, you had the advantage of maybe he was playing Ajax captain, and then go to to Ajax Amsterdam, you know, to play in in the in, in the team it's almost unheard of. It's very very difficult. I think mm -hmm. around three players in in those days, um, you know, to go. So he had very 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 good career uh, because of his uh, technique. And, and that is what I was saying about, you know, one day we have to engage in South Africa and, and football to see these kind of uh, players. I mean, Kobni would know one of my, Pina was one of my favorites because of what he did uh, in Ajax and also Borussia and, and, and Everton and playing in that, in that position. In the beginning, it was like right, right in the middle. But then, of course, like Francis says, you get, you get moved on the, on the right or on the left wing. When he has come to Tottenham, and, and then one of the other players, I mean, we didn't mention that because we we're talking about South Africa with Shows Moshu, Shows Moshu in, yeah. in, in midfield, there is you will be it will be difficult, you know, to to find the player in 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 who can fill that that role uh, that that he played, and even when he was 40 years old, he was playing for Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, and playing in the middle. <laughs> you understand? That's so true. Yeah. So, so you because of the skill and the eye that he had and the way he just carried the ball and, and everybody would would uh, would sing his name. So yeah, uh, this these are exceptional, exceptionally talented uh, players. Somebody mentioned uh Lakata Bellumi. It was incredible. I think that Bellumi used to wear the 10 before Maja. Uh, we started to wear the number ten in uh, in Algeria, and and had the opportunity to to play against them. And these are breathtaking uh, players that even you you as a, um, as opponents you know that <laughs> today you are you are in it for you are you are going to see football at its best. You admire the guys the way they used to float on the uh, on on the field and control the ball and pass the ball and the, just their vision. On, on the ball, you, mm -hmm. you learn the lesson, you know, when, once, you, once you went back home. I was just listening to a point that Kalusha made earlier, and I think, uh, Ahmed, I think you touched on this as well, uh, is that the managers also need to trust the players and, and, and not, out, not coach this out of the players. I remember um, a picture once on the national newspaper when um, Bafana, who was coached by Jomo at the time, were out at the African Nations Cup preparing for the final. We played, I can't remember who we played in the final. And they had Jomo Sono standing on the side, leaning against a goalpost asleep. He was leaning against the goalpost. He had fallen asleep while the players were playing. And the, the national, <laughs> the, 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 the people, the, 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 the journalists saying, you know, you're always looking for stories, took a picture always. of him and they said, look at the coaches and he said no i trust my players at this point what else can i tell them they're creative i'm not yet to stop them they know what they have to do what was the final score we lost <laughs> <laughs> we lost yeah that was 1998 in the final in, in uh, Egypt. yeah uh, in yeah in we, we got a we got a hiding in the final an absolute hiding against but, egypt yes yeah. But stick to your principles. Don't take the creativity out of players. You know. But sorry.
No, that's okay. We've got two more names to go through. I think we've done a great job in celebrating the names on our list and bringing in others who weren't on the list, which is what we want to do. Um, now we're probably going to go to the best African player who probably never, well, who never left the continent. I know we can have this debate, but um, widely regarded as the greatest Egyptian to never have left. Um, who was that, Ahmed? Yeah, so uh, Mohamed Abutrika, obviously, you know, very well known in, in Africa. Um, and and as, you, as you said, hailed as one of the greatest African players to not have, have left Africa, albeit he did play in, in uh, the Emirates for six games as, towards the end of his career. But he was an exceptional player, I think. Um, and for me, he epitomises that typical, you know, that number 10, always in the middle, being available to receive the ball. Um, and in a way, he his playing style is, for me, the, one of the closest that you can get to Zinedine Zidane, who just, for me, you know, is that epitome of that number 10 in that sense that he would just receive the ball. He was happy to drive forward. He'd play behind the striker. He was able to do kind of everything. And um, I think Abu Trika, you know, very, very well liked by everyone. And, and he was, in 2006, he had an arguably one of his best seasons where he won every every trophy available to him except the World Club Cup, which was where Ahli came third. I mean, won the CAF Champions League, the League, the Cup. Egypt won the, Af the African Cup of Nations, which he was fundamental to. And especially um, playing for Egypt, it was it said that player where you know a, a defender or or a, another midfielder would get the ball, and the first thing they would do is look to pass the ball to him because they know he can create something. And and I think that's what. Was, was so special about him and, and his, his career and he won BBC African Player of the Year award and I think he was he was he was overshadowed and I asked some of my friends who in England who, and some of them don't really know who he is which is quite sad because I think that's the way football is if you're not in Europe you're not known and this goes on to our debate last week about players leaving uh, leaving you know do they want to leave but he was one of those players who didn't want to leave and was and was happy to be, to be in Egypt because he had everything he wanted. Yeah, because I think it's a pity because in Africa, you know, we, where we are, the, the people want to think that um, a footballer um, has to play in Europe before he can be recognized um, anywhere. And also, if you look at the people who have won the Africa Play of the Year, it's most of the people playing in Europe. And, um, and in fact, I used Egypt's uh, strength in, in playing with uh, the, the, the team that they have played with, uh, the team that has won the Africa Cup of Nations, uh, when with, uh, what is the name of the coach? With, uh, coach with, with Shahata, Coach yeah. Shahata, uh, where they were, they used predominantly, all the players were playing in Africa. In 2012, when Zambia went to the, to, to the Africa Cup of Nations, we had probably won with Mayuka and Chris Katongo probably, uh, who else? And the rest were playing in, in Africa. Yeah. And so I said, we can be able to win because we will be a team. We can beat all these teams that have all the players playing in Europe. And we had the advantage, uh, you know, to, to play in Africa. Because sometimes the people, they don't see that. You know, like you say, you talk to your guys uh, in, in Europe, the people, they don't know Abutrika. And yet, one of the most gifted, you know, is spoken in, uh, in the top two of best African players, of the best Egyptian players with, uh, with Okatib. And, you know, Butrika exactly in that position, number 10, like Zidane, like you said, I agree totally. 
that the way he was able to turn or even just to pass the ball, you know, because he used to pass the ball with his out, outside, which is his trademark in my opinion. <laughs> and I, I, when I met him, and I, I said to him, how many trophies have you won? You know, because I said, how many with 18, 19? So he said to me, I think I, think I, I mentioned, have you won 23 or something? A guy wins almost 20, not, I don't even think you would correct me, Amit. I think it's 23, I'll be doing him injustice, but it's over 23 titles that he has won. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> People play careers, they play 20 years, 30 years football, and they win probably one one thing in their whole career. And Abutrika has won that many. I said, Jesus, uh, uh, Abutrika, you are a legend of the highest caliber because it is so difficult in uh, football. Because most of the players play for good games in the season. But I mean, if you're going to win the championship, you're going to win the CAF championship. You're going to, you know, all Africa of nations. Incredible, incredible career. He deserves more credit than, than he gets. I think it was difficult for him at the time because he won the BBC Africa Award and then the same year, the best of Africa, he didn't win that, or sorry, the uh, um, Africa, yeah, the best African player, he didn't win that because Didier Drogba uh, won that. Um, and he was obviously competing with a lot of tough players, but I think, yeah, in terms of coming from Africa, he was one of the best. Actually, interestingly, last week, our, I don't know if you know, our, our discussion was about players leaving Africa and, and we talked, we kind of touched on that and it was interesting for you, for example, in the sense that you've gone to Played, you've played in uh, in South America and Europe, and so you've been able to go and experience that and come back. And and he was kind of the opposite where he started. You know, he was happy to to stay there. But um, is is a shame that sometimes he hasn't been rated as as highly as uh, as yeah, he should. It's a, it's a it's a tragedy, you know, that um, you normally normally I think in Africa is well respected. But I'm just saying that in the international stage. A uh, guy like Abu Trika in the with the football that he has played, uh, if he had played in Europe, he should he would be standing in the in the top uh, in the team of, of the year at uh, at the Ballon d'Or all those things. I'm telling him because he was so talented. So talented. Uh, Kalusha uh, Ahmed, are, are you saying twenty three trophies or more? Yeah. Yes, right, yeah. Absolutely. The, the reason I'm saying that, you know, when they when they um, on Sky News when they always talk about Graham Sunes. They mention 23 major honours. That's how he's described. <laughs> you know, they don't talk about Graham Sunes. They talk to him, they say, Graham Sunes, 23 major honour winners. There's someone with more. No, I think no, I think of 25. But, 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 Courtney, I think, and Kalusha, it's worth you knowing this, um, Courtney holds one of the most prestigious oh, trophies geez. in Essex. I was going to go in. Oh, no. <laughs> Courtney, would you oh. want to tell the great Kalusha, what, Balwa, what you, what, what, what you, what you hold? Uh, well, 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 firstly, Kalusha, I, I know long, I played football over, over 35 now. And uh, <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to tell the story. <laughs> I played over 35 and, um, the team I played for, we won the championship in uh, the division we won. And um, the manager at the awards evening at the end of the season is dishing out trophies. And uh, I'm captain of the team. He dishes out the trophy to player of the year, which I don't get. Highest goal scorer of the year, I don't get. Uh, and then uh, there was one trophy sitting on the table. I looked, <laughs> we were all thinking, what is that? 
and I got uh, uh, Courtney Free's um, most committed ever. <laughs> most committed. I don't think there's a in the world of football with a title like that. My goodness, that's when you know you, you, your value in the team is 2%. <laughs> Courtney, you took the Spirit Cup home. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh. And it's a trophy Abu Trika has not won. It's a trophy I don't want. It's a trophy I don't want. So no, but it's the trophy you're, you're, you're winning is, is like the Jomo trophy, the Jomo Sono. You are talking about Jomo Sono that is the treasure, is the driver, is the, is the chairman. You know, he's the, so it, it's a committed trophy. So yeah. <laughs> See, Kalusha's giving you the big sell. (laughs) Guys, it's been amazing. We've celebrated more than 10. We have one more name that was touched on earlier. A man who won the Champions League twice. A man who had incredible success in Spain with Barcelona. But Francis thinks he was played in the wrong position. Who was that, Francis? Oh, (laughs) Mr. Seydoukaita. I think one of the most brilliant minds we've had in the game. And you saw this predominantly with this time from Mali. That's, I think that's where we got to see the mm-hmm. brain behind um, We were all familiar with his time. I believe it, he moved to Lens. He started off actually at the, I think it's called the Centre Salif Keita. And Salif, uh, even Kalusha referred to him in, in the beginning as one of the pioneers of the game and this academy which they have uh, in Bamako is known for its focus on ball control and the ability for these young players who start off playing barefoot as well for the sake of their ability to control the ball apparently um he moved from there had a fantastic time and long moves for i believe it was something like uh 14 million, I believe, Barcelona paid for it. It was a substantial amount of money for him to come in. Coming in to replace the Decos and the Ronaldinhos who were leaving at that time. And we got to see glimpses of his game. But in his uh, experience, particularly in Barcelona, I think we really get to see a fine example of how an African 10 is not allowed or permitted to play that role. Um, what he was doing for Mali simultaneously, because it would join the Malian camp for African Cup of Nations or qualification matches, and we would see this amazing genius. But at club level, he was restricted to wing play, even played wing back roles at times, which for those of us who appreciated his talent, felt like a travesty, it, it, it felt like an injustice. But nonetheless, he had 14 trophies to show for it at the end of his time at Barcelona. It was a very successful time for, you had a trio of African players in Barcelona at the time. You had uh, Yaya Toure was struggling with the same battles over there. Samuel Eto'o was in that same uh, team and uh, through the transition. But I believe he even played a game against uh, he moved on to Roma, I believe it was, and they met with Barcelona in the Champions League, uh, I think some seasons after, and he played 10. Um, and it was a joy to see because you could almost 
I don't know, maybe I was reading too much into the game, but it was almost like he was trying to say, this is what I could have done for you. <laughs> and it was weird they didn't win the game, but that wasn't the point. Uh, but he is one of those players who I think Africa, uh, Africans who watch the African Cup of Nations have the joy of seeing the Malian team with Seydou holding that uh, the captaincy and orchestrating play for his national team. He was a maestro. He was definitely one of those players who did exactly what Kalusha did for Zambia, a phenomenal player, but was truly restricted, still successful, still made his money, still made his name, still got the trophies in the cabinet, but never really hit the fullness of his potential on that particular platform. And I think it was heavily due to the fact that it wasn't expected of him because of where he came from. No, I think we can't add anything um, anymore. You have uh, uh, spoken uh, very nicely, um, articulated it uh, clearly, because if a guy wins 14 trophies, you know, whilst at Barcelona, and I remember that game you're talking about, that he went back, he went to Roma, and then came and um, and played against uh, Barcelona. So, uh, but phenomenal uh, talent. Uh, for me, I think that also in Africa Cup of Nations, it was always in the front front row, you know, taking the responsibility on behalf of Mali, uh, you know, and I think that this it's a wonderful, wonderful team built around him, um, always responsible, you know, guys like Seducator, you feel they have the band and it means so much to them uh, because they can do everything. Uh, they, they, I think that, uh, Francis, the thing, the problem that we have with uh, some of the number 10s is that you, you you can play so many different positions. So you make the court start to doubt which is your, <laughs> your favorite position, you know? So that's why you're able to say, no, play way back. Uh, you can play defensive midfield. No, it will push you now a little bit to the left just because your left foot, uh, you were so talented and so versatile, like you said, in, in many positions. Arsene Wenger, after the trial for Yaya Touré, when he came on trial, uh, he played a game against Barnett. And when he was asked afterwards why he didn't sign Yaya, beyond the issues that they had around the work permit, he said, I actually wasn't sure what his position was going to be. So I felt like I struggled. So sometimes you kind of want to know what the play is, and sometimes these guys are overblessed. So Kalusha, maybe that was your problem too. You were overblessed. <laughs> no, I, I, I played. All my position, I played though, you know, I was coming from the left and in behind. Uh, and then I, you know, it, it, it was my responsibility uh, to uh, to score a goal. I thought my responsibility not let me touch the ball, but let me score a goal because we have to win this match uh, or give the pass to go. Uh, because in the old days, I used to play on the left and I used to cross the ball for, um, I'm very proud of my record that when uh, one of our players, Ashok Melu, scored almost 35 or 36 goals, I think I gave him 17 crosses, uh, 17 passes, you know, for goal. So, you know, this I, I'm very proud of that, you know, that, that I was able to make him, to help him, to assist him to be football of the year. Um, I mean, um, top scorer of the year. So I was more of a passer and then eventually, uh, because of uh, coming inside, uh, you know, then I took up the responsibility of um, getting one chance or two chances and putting one away. So 
in, in the in the time, especially with the national team, or even in the club in Secob Road or PSV or anywhere, uh, I used to take my my chance very seriously that I had scored. <laughs> so that, that was uh, yeah, that was it. You know, it's not uh, not not anything else. Guys, what an amazing discussion. We've gone well past the 90 minutes today, but that's okay. There's lots of gold in this discussion. As always, thank you, Ahmed. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Courtney. And can we give it up to the man, Kalusha Bwalia, Chipolo Polo's finest, Zambia's finest, a man who played, a man who coached, a man who led his team as president to the AFCON title back in 2012 it was a, it's been a pleasure having you on it's been a pleasure getting your insight and um we hope that you'll be on the show again sometime again soon no no it's, it's, as soon as um, there's good um, topic and uh, you know football is our life and also we want to add to you know the experience and also to learn uh, from the guys and what they have seen and everybody is coming from different space and different sphere but sometimes we don't celebrate so much our football you know, we we are always okay because I mean, of course, of the work, and we are in the now uh, because it's, it's Europe, uh, and then also uh, Liverpool. We have uh, uh, Salah, and then we have, um, of course, uh, Sadio Mane. So we 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 are in the right space. We're in the right time uh, because our players are making it, you know, big in at a big stage, and this is this is very very important for us. So, but. Of course, I mean, to remiss, uh, to go back to old football and just to talk about the history, of the rich history of, uh, of African football, you know, I love it. I love it. I, you know, I've seen so many players over, over the years, so it's, it's important that the people remember them or they recognize what they have done for, for themselves and also for their respective countries and clubs. So I'm really happy. I was very happy to, to be part of this. Uh, Amazing. Thank you, guys. Till the next time we're on. Au revoir.